We are so thrilled to be partnering with Hinge. Hinge is the dating app designed to be deleted. As you all know, I'm a huge Hinge advocate as I met my partner of almost three years on the app. Even before meeting him, Hinge was always my go-to app because I met more relationship-minded people here and had some great dates. Clearly, I haven't been on the app for a little while, but I re-downloaded it to check out some of the new features. One that stood out to me was the voice prompt, my best friend's take on why you should date me, where your friend can hype you up. Not only does this make the profile creation less daunting, but it's not always easy to see your own green flags. So to test it out, I asked UA some fun prompts to get her take on what I could put if I was dating again. So the first one, how long have we known each other? What was your first impression of me and how has that changed? Julie and I have known each other for almost 10 years. My first impression of Julie was that she's very social, but I've learned that she has a lot more depth to her beyond the social butterfly that she is. My next prompt, what do you think are my green flags? I would say she's deeply loyal. She believes in love, curious mindset, and she is fearlessly ambitious. And then last but not least, what kind of friend am I? Julie is the kind of friend who will always have your back, no matter what. Damn, that feels nice to hear. So download Hinge and try voice prompts today. Then find someone worth deleting the app for. I love wine, but sometimes it can get really expensive, which is why I'm so excited that today's episode is brought to you by Last Bottle Wines. If you don't know, they're a Napa-based online wine shop with a twist. They offer just one hand-picked wine per day until it sells out, which is often an hour's. So new day, new wine, always at incredible prices. We're talking 30 to 70% off retail. And the best part is that there's no subscriptions, no fees, and no minimum purchase. Just a daily email with a really great wine. They're offering Datable listeners 10% off your first order with code Datable. And now is such a great time to join as their marathon sale is coming up on March 28th and 29th. They flip that one day rule on its head and offer back to back deals, which means that wines are only up on the site for a couple minutes at a time and shipping is 100% free. They send us a mini marathon package of some of their favorites and let me tell you, they were delicious. Sign up at lastbottlewines.com and use the code datable and find out why Last Bottle is the most fun way to discover and buy amazing wine. The Dateable Podcast is an insider's look into modern dating that the Huffington Post calls one of the top 10 podcasts about love and sex. On each episode, we'll talk to real daters about everything from sex parties to sex droughts, date fails to diaper fetishes, and first moves to first loves. I'm your host, USU, former dating coach turned dating sociologist. You'll also hear from my co-host and producer, Julie Kraftchik, as we explore this crazy dateable world. Hello, Datables. Welcome to another episode of the Datable Podcast. We are here to answer all of your questions about modern dating because we're also trying to answer those for ourselves. And that's why we do this podcast so we can learn to be better daters. Uh, This week's episode is... a little bit, I don't know. It, I like that we have this mix of experts and then we have real stories. We do have an expert on this time. This is all about positive intelligence, but his entire program is really centered around every aspect of life. And we have to remember that our dating life, our love life is connected to every aspect of our entire life. Yeah, this episode, 
mean, you ain't could go into it more because you're actually in his program. So you came to me and you were like, I have the best guest. I have the best guest, Shirzad Shamin, and I'm taking his course all about positive intelligence. And I'm like, what the fuck is positive intelligence? <laughs> and then you started to go into it of just how, you know, we learn how we sabotage our love lives. And as soon as you said that, I was like, we need to get him on the podcast. And I'm so glad we did because like you said, we do this podcast. This podcast started because we were genuinely curious about modern dating and we did not have it all figured out ourselves. And, you know, now that both of us are not actively dating anymore, but we are navigating relationships and fun fact, it doesn't stop after you got into a relationship. You never stop dating and you just have new things pop up. And I think what I've been learning personally over the last, you know, I would say I'm like, I'm hitting a year. I'm going on my year anniversary next week for going away. Yeah, next week. We're hitting a year. And I'd say like the first, you know, the first like six months, you're in the honeymoon phase. Everything's great. Everything's going well. And not to say it's not going great now. It definitely is. But we're just going to a different level. Mm -hmm. You know, we're hitting different things. And what I've learned from my relationship, talking to you, talking to other people in relationships and some friends that have been married for years, there's always something. There's always something you need to navigate. And it makes sense because you're bringing years and years of your own way of doing things and thinking about things and processing things to a relationship. And I love in this how we break it down and see how it's actually impacting our relationships with our loved ones and how we're getting in our own ways. I was kind of reminiscing about my previous relationships and even the current one the first few months because you and I always (laughs) talked about like the early stages of relationships. And I don't think we ever went through that honeymoon phase because I think... What it was, was my UA bullshit phase. That's what I call it. That's what the honeymoon phase was for me. I threw out so much bullshit at this guy and every other person I've dated because I never thought like being in a relationship meant it should be easy. So I made it very hard in the beginning. I would want to do like the games and the chase and kind of make it not so easy for my partner. But then the next six months was about him breaking down my bullshit and being like, let's work on these issues issues instead of this like me versus you mentality. So I look back on previous dating, the early stages of dating, and I just fucking cringe, Julie. I can't believe I was that person who would never say thank you at the end of a dinner if someone picked up the bill. Like I would just act like I was entitled for some reason because I wanted the guy to feel like he should feel lucky to be with me. Like what the hell was Mm. wrong with me? So yes, for me, honeymoon phase never existed because it's just UA bullshit phase. Well, I think we're, you know, even if you're not in a relationship, this episode is equally as applicable because you can sabotage yourself even if you don't have someone to sabotage a relationship with. And that's exactly what you were doing. You finally just met someone that was willing to just break through it with you. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because I think mine was the opposite, that we were just like so like enamored and in love. And, you know, and then we started to be like, okay, this is the real selves. Not, not that we weren't showing real selves, but, you know, it's you different. start to like dig in a little more and get more comfortable 
people. And honestly, I think actually, even if when there's conflict, I always think of our episode with Vienna, mm-hmm. Farron, and Connor Beaton, which was last season, about how conflict is actually the key to a successful, healthy relationship. And I do believe actually it's broken down barriers that we can get to know ourselves better, each other better, and you build something that has a lot more depth than when it's just surface level and honeymoonish. Yeah, like what Sherzad is going to go into with this episode, we have two different sides of ourselves. We have the sage self, which is the compassionate, empathetic, peaceful side of us. And then we have the saboteur self, which is just multiple layers of sabotages. I don't even know if that's the right word, but saboteurs <laughs> that can come and really ruin a good relationship. And in early dating, your sage side comes out because you want to be loving, compassionate, and empathetic. But the more you grow closer to each other, the more you can use your own saboteurs to bring out the saboteurs in other people. So you kind of like feed off of each other's negative um, energy. So it's like it's inevitable in relationships that we have both sides and that we can. They always say like someone can bring out the best in you and they can bring out the worst in you. That is so true in a relationship. Yeah. Or what you're saying is sometimes maybe your saboteurs come out before the sage. Yeah. (laughs) So I think everyone's different based on how you process relationships, your past experience, if you're protecting yourself and how you're doing it. It, it, It's a great topic. And it definitely gives me um, schemas vibes, Mm -hmm. you know, like identifying how you fit in. There's a quiz you can take. You sent me the quiz. (laughs) Immediately, I was like, oh, my God, this explains everything. Similar to how I felt when I was realized I was a perfectionist on schemas. And what I love about this and schemas is that there's nothing wrong with you. There's Mm -hmm. none that are better than the other. It's more just how can you get more knowledge about the way you process things, the beliefs you hold. So when it comes up, you're able to just be like, oh, yep, it's this. Mm -hmm. Not like there's something actually flawed with my relationship. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah, I'm so (laughs) glad you said that because we always say that with uh, personal development and self-help sort of like these quizzes and assessments you can take. It's not to tell you what is wrong with you, not to diagnose you. It's to give you hope that you can work towards someone, a better version of yourself. And we're constantly working on the better version of ourselves. So with this episode, with the schemas, with the personality test, it is just capturing you in this moment in time. And then it gives you a roadmap for where you can go Mm -hmm. towards. And that's always progress. Yeah, it even reminds me of last week's episode, which got such rave reviews about securing your anxious attachment style. We know that a lot of our listeners identify this way. Similar to me, because you might never lose that aspect of yourself. Yeah. Like you might always have some anxiety, for instance, or you might always have some perfectionism or whatever it may be, but you can learn how to control it and you learn how to share it with someone and you learn how to not let it get in your way ultimately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've been wanting to ask you this, Yway. Oh. So you, <laughs> you took this course. Mm-hmm with Shirzad. Mm -hmm. And you obviously felt very strongly about it. And one of the things I admire about you is your growth mindset and that you're always looking for ways to continue personal development. What made you decide to do this course? It's a very good question. I'm going 
going to call out my good friend, Eddie. Hi, Eddie. Thank you so much for thinking of me and my partner. So he was able to have access to this course through his company. And he was able to bring on some close friends to be part of his circle to go through the program together. And he asked me and my partner. And so we were like, let's do this as a group. That sounds like a lot of fun. But through the course of the last six weeks, what I think what motivated me in the beginning was one, I get to do this with close friends. So we get to keep each other accountable, but also to show compassion for each other as we work through these issues. The second motivator was in an introductory video, Shirzad says, how many times have you gone through like a motivational speaking event or gone through a program and you're like, I'm going to change my life and this is going to be so much better. And then you forget about it a month later, <laughs> right? Because he he's saying that the, a lot of personal change comes from habit change. So it has to be a habit and behavioral daily exercise for it to last. So the way he programs this is that every day you do exercises. So you can mm -hmm. keep this in your repertoire for the long term. So those are like the two main motivators for me. How is doing it with your partner? Yeah. Because I've been greatly debating doing this with my partner. I would highly fucking recommend it, Julie. And this for <laughs> anybody. You don't have to. It doesn't even have to be this program. Go through any program together with a partner. I feel like one, it gives you a common language with your partner. You know, like mm -hmm. you do these uh, PQ exercises as part of this program. So my partner and I will like on a daily basis be like, did you PQ today? How many times did you PQ today? <laughs> right? And it gives you like- That makes a, it fun and, too. Yeah. It's like an inside joke, right? And then I also think it's a fun thing to do because you can be more vulnerable. It's a very structured program. So instead mm. of like you figuring out all the things you want to bring up yourself, the program actually elicits that out of you. So it's kind of like group therapy in a way. Yeah, I like that a lot it's not just you educating your partner right because I think a lot of us I mean you and I included obviously we host this podcast but all the people that listen to this podcast I sometimes think that everyone has a leg up in dating because you're you know taking the time to actually understand dating not yep. just do 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 and taking that step back to reflect but I love this part of not just educating not that that's a bad thing, but it does make it more collaborative that you can yes. do it together. Yeah, that's a key word, collaborative. And mm -hmm. I also think that if you find a partner who's willing to go through any yes. of these programs with you, that's already a big step forward. Oh my God, this was such a vetting requirement for yes. me. I remember when I was dating, you know, this time around when I met my partner, because, you know, I'm like, fuck it, I'm not hiding aspects of myself. It's really important to me that someone wants to grow, like personal development is a core of who I am and I want someone that's on the same page and I would bring up the schemas quiz and all that stuff and some people just were like what the fuck like what is wrong with you and then my partner today like he took the quiz and on his own came back and nice. like told me what his answers were and I was like okay he's on the same page so I think sometimes we want to hide the best aspects of ourselves but it can be a way to really filter and find that match that's on the same page you know what's what I love about this is is that you know that when you're in a relationship, your partner today is not going to be the same partner next month or next year because they're constantly changing. So this is a great way to grow together, right? So like mm -hmm. you can be on the same path and have that common language to grow together. And I, I really love that. And for anybody who's been through therapy or these like really kind of intense programs, when you ask them what they're looking for in a partner, they always say, I look for growth mindset, right? You always yep. hear that. I just want someone who's been through it, who's still 
going through it and who wants to keep going through it. This is a great way to like find other people who are in that kind of same class of thinking. Yeah. I mean, the person you are today is not who you will be tomorrow. And that's a good thing. <sighs> Can't wait to meet her. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Well, we're gonna st- we're gonna stop there because we got a whole episode that's really diving into it. We made the announcement last week. We'll be shortening these intros slightly because we have bonus content coming every Sunday. Woo! We're calling it Brunch Talk, so you can listen. It's gonna be released around 10 a.m. PST. One, I'm like, what is the equation? One p.m. EST. One, yes. <laughs> so you know, I think people on the East Coast tend to eat later brunches, so it works out. <laughs> <laughs> the idea is you could fuel your brunch talk for real life. Julie, too. when have you ever eaten brunch at 10 a.m.? Let's be honest. Oh, here. Never, never, never. I'm more, <laughs> even though I'm on the east, the west coast, I'm like, I probably actually fall into the 1 p.m. But brunch mode. is supposed to be breakfast and lunch. It's like, it literally is supposed yeah. to be te- between t- 10 and 11. And I always have brunch after 12. So it's perfect. It's lunch. You know, you, you listen to this short episode. They're going to be 20 to 30 minutes long. You're ready to go for your brunch that you can just dissect it even further with your friends. (laughs) And what we're trying to do too is like there's some things that are worth discussing over brunch and there's some things that aren't like analyzing text messages Mm. or profiles. We think that's a gigantic waste of time. But the topics that we're going to be talking about are worth analyzing over brunch. So yeah, they're juicy. Anyway, yes, tune in. And while we're talking about being collaborative with potential dates, friends, whoever, share this episode with a friend because you know, we all need this. We all all need this revelation of how we might be sabotaging ourselves. And also, like I mentioned, share this with your next date and see how receptive they are to doing the work and taking the quizzes and learning about themselves because learning is sexy. So find that out. Yeah, I think it's a great date question or a friend question Mm -hmm. to ask, what are you currently working on? What's something you're working on about yourself? And then send them this episode. Done. Yep. Before we get into it, let's hear a quick message from our sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. People don't always realize that physical symptoms like headaches, teeth grinding, and even digestive issues can be indicators of stress. And let's not forget about doom scrolling, sleeping too little, sleeping too much, under eating and overeating. For me, stress takes over my life sometimes to the point where I spend more time stressing than actually being productive. For many of us, stress shows up in all kinds of ways. In a world that's telling you to do more, sleep less, and grind all the time, here's your reminder to take care of yourself do less, and maybe try some therapy. Personally, therapy has been a life-changing experience, helping me truly feel my feelings and have the tools to make progress in my mental health. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't ever have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy. Give it a try and see if online therapy can help lower your stress. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Dateable Podcast listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash datable. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E. This episode is made possible by Switchcraft. I love Match 3 games, but they all can seem so redundant with the same format and similar storylines. Switchcraft, on the other hand, is a brand new take on Match 3 games that's both fun and interesting. I absolutely love that there are literally thousands of levels to play, so you never get bored. And the storyline is also very engaging. You're trying to help Bailey and her friends uncover the mystery of the disappearance of her best friend, where every match presents a new piece of the story. And along the way, you can make decisions. This is my favorite part because it's like choose your own 
venture because the decisions drive the narrative. For example, who to antagonize and who to befriend. In Switchcraft, you take on the role of the witch at Pendle Hill, the world's top academy of witchcraft. Along the way, you'll find unique characters, a gripping story, and even a little romance. The best part is that your choices in the game determine the outcome of the story. So you're in the driver's seat. Download Switchcraft for free and unlock the magical mystery. Okay, let's hear it from Shirzad. We're going to just get right into this conversation because we've heard of IQ, we've heard of EQ, (laughs) and now there's PQ, which is positive intelligence and this positive intelligence quotient. You know, we got Shirzad here and you've talked about how uh, we go to the gym to exercise our muscles. So there's also a way for us to exercise our mental strength. Shirzad is the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Positive Intelligence. He has lectured on positive intelligence at Stanford University and has trained faculty at Stanford and Yale Business School. He currently lives in San Francisco, been there for 20 years, grew up in Tehran, 61 years old, and he is married. Hi, Shirzad. Hello, Yai. How are you? <laughs> Great. So glad to have Great. you here. I mean, as someone that has not not taken your course yet, and I've heard so much about it. What is positive intelligence in your own words? Yeah, positive intelligence is a measure of your mastery over your own mind. If you're a fan of Star Wars, what we talk about is that inside your mind, there is a war raging between your inner Jedi and inner Darth Mm. Vader's at all times. Your inner Jedi is the positive one in you who serves you and serves Mm. your interests and helps with your relationships and all those good stuff. And your inner Darth Vader's, which we call your saboteurs, are the ones that are constantly sabotaging you. So we believe inside every mind there are voices that are constantly sabotaging you and there's a voice that's your true self that is serving you. The balance of power between those two things is what we help change. We help strengthen your inner Jedi, weaken your inner Darth Vader's, and as a result, you end up transforming your relationships, transforming how you feel. You'll feel a lot happier and less stressed and also perform a lot better in whatever you do. And so the measure of how strong you are at that is is what we call that your positive intelligence level, PQ. That is so fascinating and so important for dating. We hear this all the time that sometimes we get in our own ways and it's hard to decipher what are areas of our mind we should be paying attention to versus the areas that are sabotaging us. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I can look uh, you in the eye and everybody else who's listening to us and say, you are actively every single day sabotaging the effectiveness of your relationships, mm. your your own wellness and your own performance. You're in a constant self-sabotage mode. The question is not if you're doing it. The question is how, how you're strongly doing are you doing it and in what way are you doing it? Mm. Uh, there are 10 ways we self-sabotage. We call those the sabotage. Every single one of us has a few of those. So I can absolutely guarantee you that you're busy (laughs) self-sabotaging without knowing it. And I want to get to these saboteurs. But before we do that, why is it that we're constantly sabotaging our lives and our relationships? Yeah, uh, this is a part of evolutionary development of our brain. Let's use one example, which is the judge saboteur. The judge is the one saboteur that's universal. The judge saboteur constantly finds what's wrong, not what's right in with me, with you, and with 
everything else, right? And it's the one that wakes you up at three in the morning and says, you idiot, what's wrong with you? Why did you make that stupid mistake again? When are you ever going to learn? Uh, or the one who says, you know, you're going to screw up tomorrow. Who do you think you are? It's also the one in a relationship that's constantly finding what is wrong mm -hmm. rather than what is right with the other person. And uh, that's devastating to a relationship when the other party uh, every time you open their mouth, criticize what else you have found wrong with them rather than yes. appreciation of what's right with them. So the question is, why do we all have the judge saboteur? And the answer is uh, millions of years of evolution, the predisposition to look at the negative and amplify the negative and be obsessed with the negative was actually helpful for the survival of our ancestors. Hmm. For our distant ancestors, if the tree started shaking and you weren't quite sure what animal is going to emerge from behind the tree, if you were in a judge mode and always assumed the worst and said, I bet you there's going to be a tiger coming out to, mm. to eat me. That negative predisposition was helpful for your survival. If you were very positive and you said, you know, I have a good <laughs> feeling today. I think it's a sunny day. I mean, I'm very optimistic. I think it's a koala bear coming to give me a hug. <laughs> How, how, how long do you think you'd you survive? <laughs> exactly, you'd be dead. So predisposition to the negative was very helpful for our survival. Now, the other nine saboteurs also are helpful for the survival of us as kids. As kids, we are very vulnerable physically and emotionally. So saboteurs are your initial protectors in this crazy, scary thing called life. And uh, we need them as kids, but by the time we are adults, they become habits of our mind. So without knowing it, we keep going back to the old thing we used to do to feel safer physically and emotionally. That negativity can really be detrimental for a lot of our relationships because we could sabotage really great relationships by doing that. But you personally experience a very tumultuous upbringing involving both physical and emotional abuse. And in your in your program, you talk about how that really affected your adult life. So can you give us a little bit background about your upbringing and then how you how this has inspired you to come up with positive intelligence? Yeah, I was uh, I was a very sensitive kid growing up in really harsh circumstances, Five, four siblings, uh, with my parents uh, living in poverty in a tiny apartment. Uh, but the worst thing was uh, my father was a pretty terrifying guy. I was, uh, re I was really scared of him. I wasn't getting much love or attention from either of my parents. And uh, basically, early on, the survival mechanism of the judge came in. It, I needed to explain why is it that I'm not getting much love or attention from my, from my parents. And I could not admit the reality to myself, which is, hey, I'm, I, I just have very imperfect parents. Because when you think about it, it is absolutely terrifying for a child to realize that, that his parents are imperfect. Why? Because my life depended, mm. uh, was in the hands of my parents. So we cannot uh, come up with a scenario that says, yeah, the truth is your parents are pretty broken people. So I needed to tell a story that had me keep my parents perfect because that would act, have actually helped me survive. And so the story was, Shirzad, your parents are actually perfect. And the reason they're not giving you much love or attention is because Shirzad, you are unworthy of any love or attention. Mm. And that was the beginning of my self-judge. It appears like a brutal thing to do to yourself, but actually it allowed me to say, okay, my parents are perfect things. They have a reason why they don't love. And you're not, you're, Shirzad, you're going to survive because your parents are really pretty powerful, perfect things, right? Now, once I started doing that, it, I also st needed to start finding 
what was wrong with other people because it would have been terrifying for me to think that I am the only unworthy <laughs> person and, and, and broken. So I also started finding what's wrong with every single person, except for my parents. Every person who came in front of me, I would instantly find what's wrong with them. You're too ugly, you're too tall, you're too short, you're too fat, you're too skinny, you're too this. I needed to find what's wrong with you because I needed also to judge you and drag you down. So again, that for my survival, I said, I'm going to survive because I'm not the only one who screwed up. Everybody else is too. So that was the formation of a very powerful judge, judge of self and judge of others. I had completely no idea I was doing it until 25 years later in Stanford Business School. I was an MBA student. We were sitting in a circle and uh, the work of this particular class was we had to tell the truth. To each other about how we were feeling hmm. and at some point every single classmate turned to me and said Shirzad we gotta tell you something you're incredibly judgmental it drives us nuts we can't <laughs> stand it anymore it's wild and when the fifth person said the same thing all of a sudden I woke <laughs> up to oh my god they are right I judge everything instantly it's a such an automatic mechanism on my mind. It was a terrifying and life-changing moment in my life because all of a sudden I saw this judge character in my head filtering things. And mm -hmm. I realized I'm not seeing reality. I'm not responding to reality. I'm just reacting through the filter of this judge. And this judge saboteur just got revealed to me when I was like 27 years old at Stanford Business School. It changed my life. I'm like nodding my head because like a lot of us can relate to that is that it does tie back to childhood. We've heard that so many times and we don't know how to put those words into our mouths of what's actually the psychology behind this. So I'm dying to know, I guess, is it innate that it's from your childhood that you have these saboteurs or are there other ways that you can identify with different ones? You know, just like every child grows uh, temporary teeth and then they got permanent teeth, there are evolutionary stages of mental development, mental emotional development. So every child develops saboteurs regardless of what your parents are like and all of that stuff. This is not the you got screwed as a child kind of a thing. And an example is I have two beautiful kids that I adore. And from day one, they were night and day different from each other. My son was a very introverted, gentle, life is a bowl of cherries kind of a guy. And that beautiful tendency that he had taken too far became his sab his key saboteur, which is the avoider saboteur. So mm -hmm. one way to think about what our sab saboteurs are is it's your natural greatest strength being taken too far mm -hmm. and becoming your greatest weakness. So mm -hmm. my son having this ease about him where everything wanted to be pleasant and life is a bowl of cherries and all those wonderful qualities that he had, which is his greatest strength. Taken too far, it becomes an avoider saboteur who doesn't want to deal with a challenge or a conflict and just wants to take a left turn and not confront it. Now, my daughter was born from day one as an extraging extrovert, very powerful <laughs> being, hard-charging, goal-oriented, all those wonderful things, which is awesome strengths for her, for her to have. Taken too far, it becomes the controller saboteur. Bless her heart. She, <laughs> she was predisposed to develop more of the controller. So the question is not whether you develop saboteurs. The question is how strong they are and are you aware of them so that you can intercept them when you're an adult. My daughter now has an absolute complete awareness of her controller saboteur and knows when to use her power to be an awesome leader and when to 
you know, take it easy, go to empathy, go to curiosity, other powers so that she is an inclusive leader rather than a controlling leader. Mm -hmm. And my son knows when to use his ease and flow and uh, positive nature in the hand of, uh, you know, her, his sage, the counterpart to Sabato that serves him, and when it's being taken too far and becomes the avoider. So they both have deep understanding of these. This is the most exciting part. When I got to this portion of your program, I kept thinking, well, if we can label the saboteurs, then we know when they're showing up in our relationships. And that's step number one is labeling them. So I think we should get into who these saboteurs are, how they're showing up in our relationships so that we can recognize it and label it. And you've already touched upon the judge, which is like the overarching saboteur. How does the judge show up in relationships? Let me t maybe tell a story of uh, how relationships happen, and uh, one of the th and the judge comes in there to answer your question. So first of all, in relationships, often what happens is people get drawn to the others who have a complementary saboteur, not the same saboteur. As an example, mm. typically a, con a strong controller doesn't get together with another strong controller. Why? Because somebody's going to kill somebody. <laughs> so. So, Two people can't control the situation. I know. <laughs> so, so a hard-charging controller tends to get drawn to somebody with softer, less aggressive type of saboteurs, for example, avoider or pleaser. Mm. So I already have, to, have had fun conversations with my uh, daughter that she has the strong, hard-charging uh, saboteur, control, uh, saboteur that she occasionally has will likely uh, be drawn to a guy who is more gentle type. Saboteurs are fueled by stress. So anytime you feel stressed, our go-to way of dealing with things is through our saboteurs. So let's imagine, let's say Mary meets Mark. When Mary meets Mark in the early days, what's happening, we see the sage in the other person, the original essence beauty of the other person. While we call your saboteur your false self, your negative self, the sage is your true self, your inner Jedi. Initially in a dating scenario, we see what's beautiful in the other. And by seeing their sage, what's beautiful about them, we actually draw that out more from them. So they show up more and more as their beautiful essence, amazing being that they are. <laughs> and that that's contagious. So the sage in one person is contagious. It brings out the sage in the other person. So Mary seeing the sage in Mark is bringing out more of Mark's uh, sage. Essence beauty, that's now bringing out more of that in Mary. And, and it's a beautiful, positive reinforcement uh, through contagion effect. And what's there not to love? The sage in every human being is incredibly beautiful. So love is occurring and all the good stuff is happening. And then they get together and six months later, nine months later, uh, they're living together. And uh, Mark is walking by the bathroom and all of a sudden realizes that Mary is uh, as she's brushing her teeth, she's she's actually squeezing the toothpaste from the middle, <laughs> not from the end, but from the middle. Oh, oh my God, this is so crazy. What are you doing? This is literally what's happening in my relationship yeah, right now. Were you, were you at my apartment <laughs> last night? Yeah. No, no, it's, I'm, I, trust me, it's happening all over the world right now. So, <laughs> so his judge comes out and judges Mary's, what Mary's doing, and points out, you know, hey, and with the judge attitude, like, Mary, what the hell are you doing? You know, you're not supposed to do this from the middle and all that stuff. Now, let's say Mark has the controller saboteur, and, and he is now with Mary, who has an avoider saboteur. So now saboteurs are contagious. When Mark came out with his judge and controller trying to control what Mary is doing, 
what's that going to trigger in Mary is her saboteur, which is avoider, which means she doesn't want to deal with this. She's going to, instead of actually discussing this and coming to a resolution, she just tries to uh, whitewash it and, and not deal with it and continue with what she's doing. And that avoider's tendency that shows up really now drives Mark crazy. Like, what is this? Who did I get stuck with over here? Why are you so, so, so evasive? So the judge and controller gets even stronger. And now let, and that's totally going to bring out Mary's judge now. And she, she's saying, I didn't know I got such a rigid, controlly, <laughs> judgy person. Before you know it, their beautiful sage bringing out the sage, me bringing out the best in you, has shifted to saboteurs bringing out the saboteur. Mm-hmm. Because through mirror neurons, what we know is that one person being in saboteur mode triggers the saboteurs in the other through a contagion effect. And so we have gone from bringing out the best in each other to bringing out the worst in each other, mm-hmm. which is why in our most intimate relationships, we are the cruelest. We are the ugliest in terms of allowing our saboteurs to come out and, and play uh, free. So we do the most damage actually to the people we love the most because the saboteurs are, are getting into a contentious stance with each other. Well, can you just say that again? We yeah. do the most damage to the people we love the most? Yeah, we are the cruelest, right? Uh, I mean, we behave better at work. If our if my boss oh my God, uh, came yes. to me with a saboteur, I would do my pictures. I would behave because there are consequences. And, and sometimes when we don't quite have the same consequences, we let our saboteurs run free. And the other thing that happens is uh, think about the tango of the saboteurs. My In this particular example, Mark's judge and controller reliably bring out uh, Mary's avoider judge, which then reinforces Mark's judge and controller. This becomes a tango that reinforces it, itself. And every time it happens, it becomes more of a habit. So that in a few months or in a few years, Mark says three words, and before finishing the sentence, Mary has started her own her whole paragraph because it's just based on muscle memory. We are we are no longer even listening to what the other is saying. We're going right into the dance of the saboteurs, wow. and the saboteurs get charged up by this. So every time Mark's judge uh, does this and gets the behavior from Mary as an avoider. Uh, behavior, Mark's judge becomes more reinforced, like something is wrong with Mary. Uh, the controller becomes more uh, more certain, like Mary really needs some controlling here because without the control, she's actually going to avoid everything mm. and nothing good is going to happen. Uh, so the saboteurs prove themselves right every time they come in and create a, a behavior from the other person. That behavior they get from the other person uh, reinforces what they have made up about the other person. So they keep generating the behavior they actually believe is wrong with the other person. And then then they say, I was right to begin with, right? So it's a very self-reinforcing thing. Once we get into these dance, dance of the saboteurs, it's very challenging uh, to step out of it and realize what you're doing. Well, I'm so glad that we are learning about this today because this feels like the death of relationships to me. And I see this really spiraling out of control if you don't get ahead of it. Can you walk us through these nine saboteurs and how they show up a bit in love and dating? Yeah, let's let's actually get into a couple of things. One, so that's the mystery of what are the saboteurs? People have a better sense of what they are. Let me give you all the names for them. Yeah, let's get all the names. So so the judge is a saboteur, which is the only saboteur everybody has. Then there are nine other saboteurs, and we have an assessment that helps you figure out which of those saboteurs you have. Usually people have a few of those. Their names alphabetically are the avoider, the controller, hyperachiever, 
hyper rational, hyper vigilant, pleaser, restless, stickler, and victim. Yes. What a cast of characters, right? <laughs> and hope I'm pretty sure you just recognize yourself and your significant other. Yes. Yes. Just by those. the names alone. Yeah. So we both took the quiz. Yeah. UA, which ones did you get? That you were the highest in. Oh, restless. Restless. Interesting. I yeah. could see that with you for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Just then, from the name of it. <laughs> and you got, which one did you get again? Hyperachiever was uh, my number yeah. one. And then controller was behind that. Yeah. Hyperachiever was my number two. So can we go into then like how they show up while dating? Yeah, so I can go alphabetically. The first is avoider. Avoider, there's a an element of avoider that's avoiding unpleasant tasks and deadlines and things like that. So the avoider could be a lot into procrastination, last minute stuff, which totally drives the controller types huh. uh, and some of the other types up the wall. So there's avoidance of tasks and stuff and procrastination, but also just as importantly, avoidance of conflict. So instead of mm. dealing with conflict, telling the other people what you're really feeling, confronting things while they are new and fresh, you let it fester, 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 fester until it blows up in your face. So so that's the avoider impact on the relationship, not really being upfront with things that are not working for you and dealing with them real time. I feel like that shows up in early dating too, mm -hmm. especially with people who ghost, for people who don't want to uh, talk about the conflicts at hand because they just want the honeymoon period to happen. So avoider, I think that saboteur for me personally shows up very early in yeah. relationships because I'm trying to be on my best behavior and try to yeah. avoid the red flags that I'm seeing. And one metaphor that, that, that this kind of connects with me with is think about a relationship, let's say initially it's like a perfect rose garden. And in this perfect rose garden, no matter how perfect it is, weeds will start to grow. And what weeds are early on, it's like something the other person said or did that rubbed you the wrong way, but it's kind of not huge yet. It's kind of small initially. Now, mm -hmm. if you don't deal with it, if you don't discuss it, if you don't bring light to it and, and communicate around it, you're not going to pull the weed. What happens is that little weed will actually get grow because you start making assumptions about it. It will grow into something bigger and bigger and bigger. And if you keep avoiding dealing with the weeds, then before you know it, there are more weeds in the garden than roses. Um, controller basically tries to dominate the way the other person does things it has, it is certain about what the right way is versus the wrong way and typically the other person chafes against that and says i feel controlled mm -hmm. um, and it has quite an impact where it, uh, people push back against it i could see in dating how the controller definitely shows up i think a lot of times we believe we know the way that dating should work that someone yeah. should text after a certain amount of days or ask for a date this many days and a lot of times we see relationships or budding relationships fall apart because someone's not playing by your rule book so yeah. i could see this one being real dangerous in getting in people's way by, by the way notice Notice that since we talked about controller and avoider as complementary saboteurs, notice what's really happening. I use the example of actually my son having a strong tendency towards the avoider, my daughter towards the controller. What I suggested is that they were born with those predispositions, my son being easygoing, very creative, adaptable, in the flow, my daughter being hard-charging, goal-oriented, driven. 
Notice these two strengths actually are complementary. And mm-hmm. part of the reason unconsciously we are drawn to the other person is not their saboteur, but their strength that the saboteur is overusing. So that's why I was saying to my daughter, you're hard charging and goal oriented and directive and all that stuff. Chances are you're going to find it very, very attractive when a, a man has a complementary strength to yours that it can be easygoing, be in the flow, be in the moment, be in touch with the joy of life and all of that stuff. That's awesome complementation. You're probably going to be drawn to each other because of that complementariness. That's why you would feel the love. Then the problem is that while you're attracted to that opposite style, at some point you start judging that opposite mm-hmm. style and yes. say, I'm kind of drawn to this, but God darn it, why aren't you also more like me? Why aren't you more heart charging? Why aren't you more like this? So we want to have our cake and eat it too. We are drawn to the complementary nature, but at some point we want them to be just like us and have all of those strengths too. And so a real big thing is for us to realize you can't have your cake and eat it too. There is a, this person's brain is wired differently. They can't bring all those strengths and at the same time bring all of your strengths. Right. That's two different human beings. So let's appreciate the difference and right. not judge the difference. And that's what typically we go to in the relationship. Okay. So what's after controller? What's the okay, so, achiever? So hyperachiever, which Julie, you mentioned you have too. So the <laughs> challenge with the hyperachiever, which a lot of us have, whether or not it's our top saboteur, is a conditional uh, self-love and self-acceptance, which mm. says, I am really not worthy mm. until and unless I achieve and achieve and achieve some more. And the problem is that, that the essence of it is we are attaching our self-worth with achievement rather than saying, Unconditional love says, I am this beautiful being, regardless of whether I achieve or not. And uh, one of the things that I wanted my kids to grow up with is know that they were born as a beautiful essence, uh, as unique as their fingerprint. And that beautiful being is worthy of all the love in the world. Mm. And so one of the ways that I wanted to make sure that my son uh, and daughter didn't develop the hyperachiever is I, my son is into tickling game. And she lo- he loved tickling. So I would, start, I would start tickling him and I say, and I taught him to, to say all the right answers. I would start t- tickling him and say, Kian, tell me, why do I love you so much? And he would say, I don't know, daddy, why do you love me so much? And I would say, well, is it because you're so smart and get good grades? And he had learned to say, and he would say, no, daddy, it's not because I'm smart and get good grades. And I'll tickle him some more. Is it because you're so great in sports and soccer and all that? And he'd say, no, daddy, it's not because of that. Tickle him some more. Is it because you're so handsome? And my son is really handsome, goes after my my wife a lot more than me. And he would say, no, daddy, it's not because of that. Is it because you're kind and generous? No, daddy, it's not because of it. So at, at some point, I would pretend great frustration. And I would say, so why is it, Kian? Why do I love you so much? And he had learned to say, and he would say, Dad, it's because I am me. Mm. When you think about it, fundamentally, what I was teaching my son is when I ask him, so when he would say, Dad, it's because I'm me, then I would ask him, what does it mean? He would say, well, I am the person you held in the hospital when I was born. That being is beautiful and worthy of all the love in the Mm -hmm. world. He does not have to do anything and it does not have to perform to be loved, worthy of love. That is a profound realization for any human being to have rather than I'm only worthy if I perform. Yeah. And same thing in a relationship. If in a relationship you are there so that you are loved by the other person, so that you feel more worthy, 
so that you fill this void inside of yourself that says, I am not worthy until I achieve not only in, in my performance outside in the job, but also in the relationship. I achieve worthiness through being loved, and all of it is trying to fill a void that can only be filled by you saying, I am worthy just because. That's huge. We hear it all the time. It's like, I'm not going to enter a relationship until I yeah. lose that five pounds or until I get a promotion or until I have X amount of my bank account. So I think it is the external, but also the societal pressure of not having what we think we should have. Well, And the frustration the other person will will uh, feel in the relationship mm -hmm. is you're asking them to fill a void that's impossible yep. for them to fill yeah no matter how how much love they give you you still feel unloved yes yes and that i see that manifesting as <laughs> our relationship is not going the way that it should be going we are not hitting these milestones that we should be mm -hmm. hitting as a couple and then you start creating that resentment towards your partner because they're not helping you achieve these external milestones yeah it's a the way i i kind of talk about it is like the teflon surface nothing will no amount of love from the outside will stick to you because the surface will become sticky only if you feel self-love then other people's love will stick you believe it you retain it, you appreciate it. But if you don't have deep self-love, other people's love comes and it just doesn't stick. Because if you're not feeling worthy of love, there's something suspicious about other people's love. There's something wrong with them loving you. What's wrong with this person loving this unworthy person that I am? They must be dumb or stupid or something. What's wrong with them? Or I don't quite believe the love. It probably isn't for real. It's probably right. not going to last or something. But the impact on the other person is they are in a no-win situation. At some point, they're exhausted by just no matter how much I love, I give, it's not enough. Oh, mm. my God. This is hitting home. And here's the way the saboteurs prove themselves right, remember? By keep saying, I'm not worthy and I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. Well, the other person is actually at some point when their love is not being received. They get frustrated and they leave. And then you say, see, I told you I'm not worthy mm -hmm. of love. I told you. I was right to begin with. So the saboteurs generate their own reality, which reinforces their life. They get more powerful because they keep providing their own evidence or the story they tell, they become a self-fulfilling reality. Wow. <laughs> I feel like so much of the last week for me has been explained right now. <laughs> <laughs> Julie's like, all right, I got enough I mean, out of this. <laughs> realizations on the moment. Okay, so wh okay. what's our next one in line? <laughs> Hyper-rational. Hyper-rational is, uh, you know, the rational function being taken too far. So I'm very analytical, I'm, I'm, I'm very logical, and everything in life the best way to resolve it and solve problems is through the rational mind, including if I'm having a conflict with my in my relationship. Well, let me figure figure this out and fix it for you. This is what's mm -hmm. happening. This is what's happening. Therefore, the answer is this. So the hyper-rational brings the rational mode to problem-solving in a relationship, which has the other person feel unheard, uncared for. The emotions are not listened to. The emotions are not uh, responded to, so you come across as intellectually arrogant, unloving, distant, all of that stuff, trying to fix the other person's problems in this relationship is quite devastating to a relationship. And what I tell the hyper-rationals is the other person will not feel heard unless their emotions are actually registered and responded to rather than you trying to fix the problem for them. And so they really step back and realize emotions are not just a noise factor. Emotions are incredibly critical to pay attention to, to respond to. 
One of the misunderstandings about the hyper-rational is because of this behavior, we think they are insensitive people, but actually they can be incredibly sensitive. Mm -hmm. They just have learned not to pay attention to emotions because they think that just makes them not objective. So they could be quite sensitive, but we end up judging them as Mm -hmm. insensitive because we don't see them uh, in that caring way. This is this is a saboteur that just can't read the room. This is I mean, we yeah. hear this in early dating, too. It's like, oh, everything on that date went really well. We talked about sports and all the things we have in common and we got food and drinks. How come they didn't want to go on a second yeah. date? It's exactly. you didn't read the room and they weren't in the moment. They were more just putting in this formula of what a good date is and mm-hmm. hoping that the yeah. result would be a second date. Exactly. The emotions were just not. Let's hold that thought for a few messages. This episode is sponsored by Via. We all know there are things that can help set the mood in the bedroom, but did you know a little THC could also do that? Yes, Via has developed a unique blend of pleasure-enhancing cannabinoids, libido-strengthening herbs, and a low dose of THC all into one mind-blowing gummy called High Love. This gummy, wow, it will awaken your senses, increase blood flow, and intensify any sexual experience. I've been pleasantly surprised by the High Love gummies because it is just the right amount of THC for me to have a good time without feeling sleepy. And hey, if THC is not your thing, Via also offers a wide array of other gummies without it. And everything legally ships in 50 states with discreet packaging directly to your door. So if you're over 21, you can get 15% off and a free pack of award-winning Dreams THC plus CBN sleep gummies with our exclusive code DATEABLE at ViaHemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P.com. Let the gummies work their magic. Head to ViaHemp.com and use the code DATEABLE to receive 15% off and one free sample of their sleepy dream gummies. That's ViaHemp.com and use the code D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E at checkout. Take your passion and pleasure to a whole new level with high love from ViaHemp. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. We are so excited to share with you our new podcast, Exit Interview. Dates don't usually end with a satisfaction survey, and yet we rate everything in our lives, from Uber drivers to local coffee shops. So why don't we do the same thing when dating? We're here to conduct the ultimate romance review, featuring daters hungry for love who have agreed to call up old flames to gather honest feedback. Welcome to Exit Interview. He upgraded himself to business class while I was in economy. (laughs) Wait, wow. What? There's feedback that will make you cringe. She could be a little bit hard-headed, like not reading the writing on the wall. And feedback that will make you swoon. When she said that she had feelings for you. I had no idea. Really? (laughs) And maybe you'll learn a thing or two yourself about how you can be a better dater, lover, or partner. Obviously, like, knew I was going to learn something. I didn't expect this. Welcome to Exit Interview. Listen to Exit Interview on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Okay, next one. <laughs> this is fascinating. So the, <laughs> so the, the, the hyper vigilant is the one that's finding dangers and risks everywhere. So it's the kind that walks into a room and you just feel their anxiety about life is a dangerous place. I got to be vigilant. <laughs> I was. I got to be on top of everything. Things can go wrong. And it's an exhausting energy because uh, because there's such a, a anxiety and risk risk awareness that when you're around them, it's pretty exhausting because they see they, they see risks and dangers everywhere, and that becomes contagious. Where we can't really be resting in front of them. The the impact is it just takes the fun away. It's an exhausting way to live when you think there's a, and you cry well wolves way, way too often because you see dangers everywhere, and when there's an actual wolf, the other person is no longer believing you because you cry wolves all the time. Are these the people that, you know, freak out when they start dating someone because they fear that it's going to end or it's not yeah. going to work out the way they want? Yeah, a presumption of everything that could go wrong will go wrong. And it's again, a self-fulfilling prophecy of, God, there could be so many risks. And by and you become you become self-fulfilling there too if you are predicting all the things that can go wrong sooner or later enough of them will because people get exhausted around you right or like you don't even take a chance when it comes to love yeah. you're just too in your head you don't trust it it's just too risky uh, just a reminder for our listeners right now, we're halfway through the saboteurs. <laughs> I think it's important to note that not just one saboteur defines mm -hmm. who you are. We could have multiple saboteurs appear and some are just more loud than the others. So don't think like, oh, I am the hyper vigilant person. Like you could be a combination of few and it's good to recognize all of them. Yeah, most most people have the judge plus a couple of other saboteurs. I think I had every single one except for the avoider. Some, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, let's get to the pleaser. Let's, get, let's see what, if Julie has that too. <laughs> well, let's see. So after hypervigilant, we have indeed the pleaser. So the pleaser is kind of better known where uh, I am trying to give to you and be kind and uh, say yes to you and all of that stuff. But there's a condition there. I'm really wanting to make sure you like me. Yeah. And so there's a there's a string attached. There's a, it's difference between me being loving and kind just because there's joy in that versus loving and kind because I really want you to like me. There's a neediness to the pleaser. And the problem is that I give and give and give and give and give, and I don't even ask for anything for myself because I'm not quite in touch with my own needs and don't right. express it. At some point, the other person hasn't given me back enough in response because, first of all, they don't know what my needs are. Secondly, I've been busy giving and not really standing for my own needs. And then I start getting frustrated and saying, what the hell? This is one, dire one dimensional, one directional. You're too selfish. You're not giving me enough, all that stuff. So we end up getting quite frustrated and resentful mm -hmm. in our relationships. Why am I the one who's always giving? Well, mm -hmm. part of the reason is because you're not making your own needs known enough. And we sugarcoat our needs when there is an issue that we have. We don't quite directly tell people that we have a need here that's not being met because in our pleasing tendency, it's hard for us to actually stand firm in what it is that our boundaries are or our needs are. And it's not the other person's fault that they don't know and they don't give back. It's A lot of it is our own creation. So it generates, weirdly, it actually destroys relationships because at some point we keep getting 
the relationship becomes one dimensional and give and take. And also at some point we are resentful and we push people away out of frustration. Mm -hmm. This is the classic nice guy, cool girl syndrome. Exactly what's happening. And there's a reason why those archetypes struggle with relationships for exactly what you just said. And the love bomber too. The person that's just like, I'm going to give, I'm going to give you all the love and do all the courting in the beginning, but then feel a very resentful to the fact that they're not receiving anything back. Yeah. And so we have people take responsibility for that, right? And ask, create boundaries for when am I saying yes, because I lovingly choose to say yes? When am I saying yes, because I can't say no, because that's uncomfortable for me. I bet if I did this a couple years ago, I would have scored a lot higher on this one than I did because I definitely never told people what was going on. I expected them to be mind readers and I held it in because I didn't want to rock the boat. And I think you just build a lot of resentment that way that one day you snap and it's not good. Yeah. And then you don't want to give at all. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. No no more giving. (laughs) Exactly. And you don't give people that opportunity to meet you. Yeah. yeah. Okay, what's yeah. next? <laughs> so let's go to, uh, aren't these fun? So, so the next one restless. is uh, Restless. Oh, and UA's number one. Yeah. Okay. Yay, UA. So, so some of these saboteurs are ones that we all have to some extent, but uh, maybe a little bit more extreme, the people who score high on it. So uh, there's a restlessness in all of us to some extent. The, the Buddhists call the mind the monkey brain. Because they say that the mind can't just stay in one branch, jumps from one branch to another, to another, to another. The mind is restless. So all of us have a restless mind. And with those with the restless saboteur, it's even a little bit more so. And the issue with the restless is not quite being present with what's in front of them and always thinking there's something better somewhere else. There's, uh, you know, maybe that next thing and the next thing. So instead of really being present for what is there, You're always wanting to be somewhere else where there could be more joyful experience of life. The excuse is that I want to, life is short and I want to experience it fully. And the paradox is by never quite being there for what's in front of you, you're never, you're not experiencing life at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, Instead of experiencing it most fully, you're never quite present for life happening right this minute. Mm-hmm. So the experience is that you jump to too many things. You don't finish things that you start. You're, there's always the next, the shiny, the shiny next thing uh, that attracts you in relationships. You might be drawn to the initial phase of a relationship mm. that's shiny and beautiful and new and all of that <laughs> stuff oh, yeah. and not see it through to the place where it is less shiny and more steady. And one of the metaphors I use is, you know, it's like wanting to get to water and you dig a well by like 10 feet and then you get bored with that. No, let me dig another well, maybe another well, another mm-hmm. well. Dig a thousand wells and never get to water because you don't stay with anyone long enough to hit water, right? So when it comes to relationship, it may be not investing in a relationship long enough to actually get this is every dater right this now. This is the biggest problem with dating. Yeah, exactly. It's like yeah. everyone wants the next item. And if they, you know, especially with data gaps, it makes it easy to believe there's so many options out there. Yeah. And if someone doesn't meet every last part of your checklist, you just move on. The maximizer, that's exactly what this is. Yeah. And, and it minimizes, right? Because you never get to water. Right. So you're never yeah. present for what is. And everyone's going to have a flaw. Every single person you meet is going to have a flaw. So, you know, like, you got to just double down on someone. There's no one out there that's perfect. 
And everybody sage their, their inner Jedi is much more beautiful and gorgeous than even they realize. So the magic of a relationship, can you bring out the best in the other so much so that they even get surprised by what they discover, how beautiful they discover themselves to be? Most human beings have no clue how beautiful they are and they're sage. Mm. And that's part of my work, you know, have people discover how amazing they are by letting them figure out how to activate deeper and deeper sage in themselves and quiet the saboteurs. Well, I think that's what's really interesting about Restless is that it's kind of passive. You're letting all these things happen to you and you're searching for stimulation, but you're not actually living that moment. So it's a very passive way of not being in your own body. I feel like why I identify with this one is when I was dating, I just didn't identify with where I was, who I was. Mm -hmm. I was just more about the act of going on these dates. I would squeeze them in, you know, pack it all in in a day. But who was I in that moment? What did people bring out in me? I didn't even sit in my sage because I didn't even care about that. It was just more about like finding yeah. that next stimulation. And it's like maximizing. You feel like you need to squeeze all these dates in so you can find yeah. the best person. And it's just, it's like a perpetual cycle. But you don't sit to think about right. how does yeah. this person make me feel? You spread yourself thin There's, and you don't get to discover your own amazing beauty and power. Or other people's either, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 Okay. okay. I think we stickler. all feel that one. Yeah. Let's do the stickler. I'm excited for a stickler. Yeah, that's, that's my so, partner. <laughs> so, so the stickler, the, again, the strength that's taken too far is the ability to focus on detail and to bring organization to chaos. And so that's a wonderful strength when you're able to bring order and organization to chaos, be detail-oriented, all that stuff. But taken too far, it becomes a stickler, and the stickler wants everything to be perfect, and everything has to be really great. And the problem is that instead of seeing what is good enough as good enough and appreciating anything that's good, you're always pointing to the 1%, 2%, 3% where it's not good enough. Mm. And it's incredibly discouraging in a relationship because no matter what the other person does, what they hear from you is the part that wasn't perfect enough. Mm. That is incredibly discouraging because after a while you say, if I work really, really, really hard and I'm 97% perfect in this thing, she's going to refer or he's going to refer to the 3% that wasn't. So why bother? Let's just do a 50% job because mm. then she's going to focus on a 50% that wasn't. The result is going to be the same, dissatisfaction and, and uh, critique. And so it generates a lot of anxiety and discouragement in the partner and in ourselves because life is not perfect. Everything will keep falling from order to chaos. And so it creates a lot of anxiety constantly where we're constantly trying to fight life for what it is, which life wants to be in flow and a little bit messier than the stutter wants to allow it to be. There's a rigidity and anxiety that it brings to both ourselves and our partners. So my partner has not taken this, but I'm going to go on a gamble that this is him also. <laughs> so, <All right>. Great. <laughs> so one of the things that comes up is unrelenting standards with this. Do you see that as a flip side of perfectionism or is that different in this case? Yeah, well, um, what, I, what I teach the people with sticker saboteurs to do is say, you know, create two buckets, 20%, 80%. And a lot of what you're currently trying to make perfect actually when you think about it good enough is good enough for those things that's 80 percent of the stuff you fret over you got to really relax take a breath and say good enough is good enough 
for these things. That's 80% of what you worry about and criticize others for. Now there is a 20% stuff where affection is a good thing to strive for, that things really do matter. And then for those 20%, lovingly put your attention on, you know what, let's really try to make this better, right? But that's 20%, not 100%. Mm-hmm. And it allows you to breathe, allows other people around you to breathe, and then focus on things where really high standard is very important. And and then you, you approach that positivity rather than constant frustration because the telltale sign you're in saboteur mode is negative energy and emotion. If you're frustrated and upset and all that stuff, you're in saboteur mode. It doesn't matter what's happening. If you're in sage mode of trying to make something perfect, there's joy, there's fun, there's mm. creativity, all that good stuff is happening while you're trying to create great mm. stuff. So if you are in a relationship and you're, you know, so, like this is something that's in second nature to you, how do you decide what areas no one's ever going to be perfect, right? Even yourself and your partner. How do you decide what the 20% is that needs to be perfect and the 80% that needs to be good enough? Well, um, let's take principles and values. I mean, it's a deal breaker if, if my partner is unethical, is my partner... Mm doesn't have a sense of mission and purpose that guides their their life or stuff like that. What is really, what needs to be a deal breaker? And those are foundational stuff that are about purpose, meaning, values, all of that stuff. But then, hi, brush my teeth? Okay, so give me a break. You know, there are multiple (laughs) ways to skin that cat. Got it. This is helpful. (laughs) As Julie's taking notes. (laughs) Well, I think with my partner, we kind of talk about, he's just a stickler for everything, the way things should look and be placed yeah. in the house, the way a date should go down, a birthday should go down. It's it's like very much innate in him so that he doesn't even realize that he has these expectations. Yeah. So something we've been working on is, are you open to a new way of mm. putting the sideboard or yeah. a new way of where the bed goes? You know, just being open to the idea of something new is just a nice start to it all. Yeah. And realizing how much you're imposing on the others on the other uh, with the assumption that there is only one way and Mm -hmm. that's a real imposition and people just feel so constrained around that that much of a stickler yeah Uh, and of course there is compassion the other thing we want to bring to our partners is we are equalizing the playing field here by saying you know what we are all imperfect beings with saboteurs now your saboteur might be a stickler mine is an avoider avoider is no better or worse than the stickler i'm going to take responsibility for my avoider I'm going to work on my avoider. I'm going to try to improve on that. And let's you please also work on your stickler, right? Because both of us in this relationship are sabotaging the relationship through our saboteur. So a very powerful conversation is that I would love for people to do is take the saboteur assessment, which is on our website. We'll link it also. Yeah. Bring that information into a conversation that says, how do I self-sabotage? So you don't attack the other person. Mm. You actually only focus on yourself. How do I self-sabotage? How do I go negative the way we know you're in saboteur mode is when you go into negative emotion Mm -hmm. and so what we say is anytime you're in negative emotion for more than a second you're in saboteur mode Mm. it doesn't matter what has happened who did what to whom if i'm still in negative emotion about it for more than a second i am responding to this through my saboteur Mm -hmm. the sage the inner jedi in you finds a positive mind modality curiosity empathy creativity calm clear-headed a mode that's positive to respond to anything so so basically the question that i would love 
both parties to come to is how do I sabotage our relationship? Mm -hmm. And there's a judge thing. Uh, we start with the judge. How does my judging of myself, by the way, my judging of myself, not just my judging of you, but my judging of myself sabotages our relationship. Yep. Because if I'm constantly finding myself unworthy of love, right. then and you give me love and I don't quite receive it because I find myself unworthy of it, I am sabotaging our relationship by judging myself. Right. So how am I judging? How is my judging myself and judging you sabotaging our relationship? How is my avoider, stickler, controller, restless, whatever, sabotaging our relationship? So it's a self-reporting, not let me tell you how you're sabotaging right. us. So do we have any more left or do we get Victim. One more. Victim. One more. Victim. This is a really Victim. good one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So, so the victim clear. It's a very well known saboteur. Uh, I'm feeling particularly singled out for bad things happening to me, and and for things that you did. Oh my God, poor me. So there is an orientation towards uh, self pity and feeling sorry for myself, and constantly finding what's being done to me by the world, by others, by you. And it's a it was one of my top saboteurs, a very sneaky one. It was actually very protective for me. I was I was in a cocoon of depression. I find, found out when I was 30 or so that I've been in depression all my life in a cocoon of self-pity through this victim saboteur, which actually helped me remove myself from the world and soothe myself. What I realized if uh, thing about victim was I so wanted love, but in the absence of love, I was give, giving myself pity, and pity is actually quite soothing. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people in the victim saboteur, they find it addictive to be in self-pity because self-pity is soothing. At some point, I realized of while self-pity was soothing and comforting, it was a very bad substitute for actual love. Mm. We see this all the time in dating. I think people that are quick to blame the apps, their city, all the external factors and feel like dating is out to get them. And yeah. we always say, too, it's like, what is the benefit? We know that, you know, sometimes you need a vet. We're not going to say that you don't. But a lot of times this misery loves company, just everything is going wrong, poor me mentality. Like, how is that actually serving you in the quest for love? Yeah. And and again, at some point, that becomes very self-fulfilling because yeah. if I think that people are particularly mistreating me and particularly not loving me and all that stuff, at some point, people get so fed up that they do reject you. And then right. you say, I told you. Exactly. I told right. you people are singling me out. And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy like every other Sabbath. Right. If you think someone's going to ghost, they're probably going to ghost. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And you're always in this why me, why me mentality. So then you start yeah. seeing, oh, all my friends are in healthy relationships. Mm -hmm. You start finding evidence to prove your exactly. victim right when it's actually not the truth. Exactly. This one's this one's tough. I think we've all been in the victim mode. It's oh, hard to yes. get out of it, which I guess is the next question is now that we know all this, which I think I've connected so many of us just knowing it. So that alone is helpful. But how what are some steps we can take to make sure our relationships don't suffer from this? Yeah. So so the most important is become aware of your own saboteurs. And uh, so what we want you to do is do the saboteur assessment, which is a free assessment on positiveintelligence.com. So you do the five minute, it's, and only it only takes five minutes. Mm -hmm. Once you understand your saboteurs, then we want you to witness yourself the moment you go to saboteur. By the way, we know the way we tell if you're in saboteur mode is negative emotion. Yeah. So the moment you go to any negative emotion, you stop and label that moment and say, right now I'm in saboteur mode, stop. The thought in my head and the emotions it's generating is saboteurs. It's not serving me. I need to shift. 
So that, so there's a three-step process. First step is you witness yourself in avatar mode and you label that moment as avatar and say, no, this thought in my head is my judge's thought. It's not my thought. My controller is saying this. My judge is saying I'm unworthy. My judge is saying you are unworthy. My controller is saying this. My avatar is saying this. I am not saying it. It's not me. It's the saboteur saying it. Label it as saboteur. It takes away the power and credibility of that voice. So that's step number one. Step number two, you do these things we call a PQ wrap. It only takes 10 seconds and it shifts brain activation. It quiets the region of the brain where saboteurs live. It activates the region of the brain where your inner Jedi or your sage lives. And I want to do the, do a PQ wrap at least so that we know how to do yeah. it. So, yeah, so let's do, let's do, do a PQ wrap with me. There are many ways to do it, but let's do one popular way. So please uh, take two fingertips and gently rub two fingertips against each other. Gently rub two fingertips against each other with such attention that you can feel the fingertip ridges on both fingers. Gently rub two fingertips against each other with such attention that you can feel the fingertip ridges on both fingers. So that was about a little bit more than 10 seconds. Uh, we call this a PQ rep. PQ stands for positive intelligence quotient. And the PQ rep is each time you do this, and it takes only 10 seconds. If you had your head under a functional MRI machine, we would have noticed that it's just this 10 second thing you did. Ever so slightly quieted the region of your brain where all your saboteurs live, and ever so slightly activated the region of your brain where your inner Jedi, where your sage lives. So what I did was, I intercept the saboteur, said no to that, started doing these PQ reps. Now, maybe 10 seconds won't be enough initially. Maybe you need to do a minute or two. But as you do these, I promise you, you will feel a shift in your mind. And you now have access to a part of your brain that has access to your inner Jedi sage who can figure out how to be more empathic, compassionate, loving towards yourself and towards the other people, and how to be in deeper curiosity, creativity, or calm, clear-headed action. All of those are powers of the sage. So you have just shifted yourself to the part of your brain activation that has access to these great positive powers. And step number three is then you respond to the situation with one of these uh, positive modes. And there are five modes that in the book I go into deeper thing with. But the first one is empathize. Uh, second one is explore, which is beginner's mind, deep curiosity. Mm -hmm. The third one is innovate, think out of the box about how to deal with the situation. Fourth one is navigate. You're guided by a deeper mean, sense of meaning and purpose. What really is important here, the kind of question you ask. And the final one is activate, which is calm, clear-headed, laser-focused, fearless action. Those are the five positive modes that your inner Jedi has. They all get activated if you do this 10-second stuff. So it's very repeatable. Like every challenge you have, every difficulty you have in a relationship, uh, I promise you, if you intercept and do this, it's going to have a profound impact on your relationship, including the fact that you want to make a promise to each other in a relationship that when one party is very strongly hijacked, you will stop having a conversation, you'll cut each other some slack, and you will literally give each other a time, a break to do, to go out for a walk and do these pick your ups, or actually sit there, do pick your ups together, or just take time off so that you recover back to the positive part of your brain before you continue a conversation. We just did this last night. I can tell you it worked. <laughs> my partner and I were in a heated conversation. My judge came out so hard and I rubbed my two fingers against each other. I was like, I got to PQ. Awesome. <laughs> I got to PQ. Awesome. I love it. And it I worked. Love it. 
I came back as a perfect angel. <sighs> Just kidding. Yeah. But no, it really, it really does help to intercept yeah. the, um, the train of thought. We recommend having a weekly cadence. And I give you an example. Uh, one of the CEOs that I coach in Boston for the past 20 plus years now, every Wednesday, he and his wife are holding hands. They walk into this a restaurant in their neighborhood. The staff in the restaurant knows there's this corner table that this husband and wife will, will get. And they always serve them rosé in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And they're holding hands, uh, walking in. And the conversation they have every Wednesday is, since our last Wednesday dinner, mm. has anything happened that might we might consider a weed in our garden? Did I do anything or say mm. anything that you really need to air? Make sure I understand. Make sure I hear. And each party makes sure they deeply understand what the other has said. Apologize for things if they they understand or explain things, uh, all of that stuff. This is weed pulling because we have only had a week to worry about it and make assumptions about it. And it also allows the husband and wife, let's say he's running out the door on Monday and he said something in a rush that she thinks was disrespectful or whatever. She doesn't have to stop him right then and there and say, stop, you just hurt my feelings or anything like that. Mm. Why? Because she knows on Wednesday they're going to get to talk about it. So, so during mm. the week, you can actually be more gentle with each other, you know, cut each other some slack uh, because you know there is a time and a place where you'll actually sit down and make sure you talk about it. Now, this is an example of having commitment to keeping a relationship healthy because no matter what you do, there are things you do and say that rub the other person a little bit the wrong way. Right. And if you have a cadence that says every week we're going to talk about it, then there's, you don't have to walk on eggshells with each other. You don't need to have a difficult time bringing it up because you know it's going to be brought up, right? So I would mm -hmm. highly recommend a cadence like that. So how do you have that type of conversation in a way that, you know, doesn't feel combative? And as the person receiving that information, you don't take it personally? Well, notice that already by having a time and a place for it, it makes it easier, right? Because we now know we are going into this dinner conversation. We're going to have our rosé. We're going to be in a sage mode. And we have an agreement with each other, which says our job number one is deep understanding of the other person in this conversation. So there's the rule is when the other person says, when this happened, you know, it had this impact on me. My job number one is to say, here's what I'm hearing. Did I hear you correctly? Did I understand your feelings correctly? All that stuff. So already there is a thing we are making sure is happening is that this conversation is happening when both people are in a sage mode. When I'm in my sage mode, I am activating a part of my brain that's more empathic, more compassionate, more understanding. The time you don't want to have these conversations is when people are hijacked. When the other person is all hijacked in their judge, controller, avoider, uh, you know, whatever, you're wasting your breath to say, to, to, to say, you know, you got to hear me now. This is what happened. This is a, and how often has, have you experienced that when you're in that kind of mode, there is any hearing happening whatsoever on the other side? There isn't. So what we recommend is recognize when any party is hijacked. And one of our agreements with each other is we cut each other some slack. When somebody is hijacked in, the, in a situation, we don't insist on having a conversation right here and now. Let's do some PQ-reps. Take time out so you shift your brain activation so you stop being hijacked, so you activate the region of your brain where your Jedi lives, your sage lives rather than your saboteurs. We call this work mental fitness. And the reason we call it mental fitness is that having the ideas is not enough. 
How often do you read a book and at the end of it you say, oh my God, this was life-changing, I got it. How often do you go to a workshop and say, oh my God, this was life-changing and I got it. And three months later, you're right back to the old behavior. And the reason is, the reason is that saboteurs have built muscles in your brain by repeating and repeating and repeating their Mm -hmm. behavior. They have built neural pathways in the brain that becomes the muscle of that mode in your brain. You can't fight muscle with insight. You need to fight muscle with muscle, which means your sage, which hasn't practiced as long, it needs to build up that muscular power so that you have a fighting chance against your saboteur. What we have found is that you need a minimum of about six to eight weeks, six weeks minimum, 15 minutes a day of practice of shifting from saboteur to sage, building up these positive powers so that you can really break through years and sometimes decades of saboteur behavior. Yeah. So for that, like the, the main program my company offers, which, which UA is doing right now, is, is yeah. actually a six-week positive intelligence mm-hmm. app-guided training where every day we give you 15 minutes of practice and we focus on your, your exact specific saboteurs. We focus on a whole week of doing these PQRFs. We focus three weeks on these positive powers of your sage so that you build mental muscle memory, counter the old stuff. Yeah. So if you're really committed, you want to really build up the muscles, not just stop with the insights. No, that's so important. I think it's really important for you all to hear that you're not going to solve all this just by listening to this episode. This is just step one. <laughs> this step is one beginning. to become aware of it. This has been such a fascinating conversation. I've personally learned so much from it. I think the biggest takeaway I have is that, you know, the more information we know about our behavior, our mindset, our intelligence, the way we process information, the better. Because there's nothing wrong with us. There's nothing wrong with our relationship. This is natural. I think just even hearing that this happens to everyone, everyone has these saboteurs and they come out in different ways. And this is what makes relationships so difficult, but also wonderful at the same time, because it does shed awareness to ourselves. And the reality is, even if we're not in a romantic relationship, we're going to be in a relationship with people in our lives, unless Mm -hmm. we lock ourselves away and we're a hermit, but that's not a fulfilling life either. We need that connection. So it's important to flex these muscles, regardless of what relationship status you are in, or if you desire to have that deeper, committed relationship where this is bound to come out, getting ahead of this information up front is so essential. And there's a reason why relationships are called relationships is because we're we're relational to each other. And I think the part around how we bring out and our other saboteurs are kind of activated because of the other person's saboteurs, it's really fascinating the cycle that we can get in. So getting ahead of this stuff and taking that time to address it, to become aware of it, and all the exercises that you shared with us, the sit-downs, all of that, I think that is so important to prioritize to have a relationship that lasts. Yeah. Yeah, I agree more. Absolutely. In the interest interest of time, I'm going to keep my really <laughs> short. My biggest takeaway is we can't expect other people to be like us and we can't expect to control other people or change their behavior. The only thing we have control of, over is ourselves. And that's why this type of work is so profound because it labels the saboteurs, but also just the lies our mind is telling us. And it, for me, what has been most eye-opening through your program, Shirzad, is in doing my PQ reps, 
my mind defaults to my saboteurs. And I realize I have this default setting that influences everything I do in life. And if I can change that default setting to something that's more beneficial for me, that is the most powerful mm -hmm. gift I can give to myself. So I think for anybody that's in the trenches of dating, you feel like dating is out to get you, the industry is out to get you, there is a very powerful way to shift that mindset. So you see evidence to support the fact that dating is not against you. In fact, you have the power to change the situation that you're in. So thank you, Shirzad, for being on our show. There's just so much more mm -hmm. information. So for anybody who wants to uh, learn more about the program, get a hold of your book, we will link positiveintelligence.com um, in our show notes. And for all of our listeners, if you want to improve your PQ score, just give us five stars in Apple Podcast Reviews. <laughs> I'm telling you, it is scientifically proven that your PQ score will go up if you give us a very nice review in Apple Podcasts. Uh, we really do appreciate that. Thank you so much again, Shazad, you. for your time. My pleasure. Happy dating, everybody. Take good care. <laughs> Okay, so on that note, we're going to wrap up this episode. Stay Dateable! The Dateable Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Want to continue the conversation? First, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter with the handle at Dateable Podcast. Tag us in any post with the hashtag Stay Dateable and trust us, we look at all those posts. Then head over to our website, datablepodcast.com. There you'll find all the episodes as well as articles, videos, and our coaching service with vetted industry experts. You can also find our premium Y series where we dissect, analyze, and offer solutions to some of the most common dating conundrums. We're also downloadable for free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Overcast, Stitcher Radio, and other podcast platforms. Your feedback is valuable to us, so don't forget to leave us a review. And most importantly, remember, Number two, stay dateable. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.